morning. Um, consider with me, if you will, a historic event and two significant historical dates as we connect that thanks to the infinitely more significant historical event, June 6, 1944, known as D-Day, the day where 150,000 Allied force soldiers landed on the beach of Normandy, for one, and other various landings, but Normandy there, northwest France, and that was the day where there was the start of the campaign to liberate, to liberate Western Europe and defeat Germany. So D-Day, significant historical date. And then we fast forward, or if you know the timeline, May 8th, 1945, almost a year later is significant and it's known as VE Day, Victory in Europe Day. Uh, German un uh, Germany unconditionally surrendered to the Allied forces on that date. So we see this uh, VE Day happening almost a year later as a result a direct result of the events that occurred on D-Day, on the invasion of the Allied forces on different beaches there in Europe. So this idea of VE Day, a result of D-Day, the cause and effect, victory is assured upon D-Day, and then victory realized on VE Day. The idea of already, already events happening that's going to ensure something uh, at another day, the already but not yet, we see this dynamic, thinking again of an infinitely more significant date in history, day in history, where the cross work of Christ, where Christ went to the cross to pay the penalty for sin, and then he rose from the dead three days later and ascended to the right hand of the Father 40 days after that. So we see this idea of in the kingdom of God, this kingdom life, victory is assured because of what transpired on the cross and Jesus' subsequent resurrection and ascension to the right hand of God. So we, we live, however we live in this life, in this culture, we personally still feel the, the effects of sin, still dealing, dealing with that, still fighting, still a war raging, but knowing that victory, ultimate victory, uh, is assured but it's not yet fully realized. So the already but not yet dynamic that we see here in the kingdom of God, and as we go back to Matthew 5, looking at the Sermon on the Mount, just thinking about this kingdom life, this kingdom life. So let's retrace where we've been, set the stage for as we continue to look at Jesus' teaching to his people about what the kingdom life is going to look like. What life in the kingdom, this upside-down kingdom, is going to look like. So we started with the question of how do I find fulfillment? So in this already but not yet life, how do we find fulfillment? Jonathan pointed out this sermon is, is Jesus as king proclaiming to the disciples during his own incarnation and then to us through his sovereign word, his people, again, in contemporary times, how to be citizens of his kingdom. This is the teaching how to be citizens of his kingdom. So we had already seen that he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So poor in spirit, depending on God, living a life based on God, relying on him, leaning on him, trusting him, connecting that with the reality that life depends on God. 
Blessed are those who mourn last week, for they shall be comforted. So knowing that experiencing and expressing a heart that's broken over sin and suffering, that's mourning. Expressing a heart that's broken over sin and suffering. So this mourning allows us, the mourning, that brokenheartedness, allows us to experience the comfort and nearness of God. As citizens in the kingdom, praise God for that. And Jonathan pointed out we need to learn to lament to experience the power of Christ. How do we do life in this already but not yet kingdom? Victory is assured, but we're still, we still have the war raging against sin and against the powers and principalities that are opposed to the king. So we come back again to Matthew's gospel. And so let's remember the purpose of this gospel we've seen in the history of the church. Since the kingdom, victory has been assured, the kingdom has been ushered in, so we remember the purpose of this record of Jesus' life and his ministry. So the four Gospels of the four, Matthew's unique in a sense, but one reason it's unique is it's the only term, one that uses the term ecclesia, the only one where there's the Greek term in there that's translated as church. So it's been uh, offered that Matthew's account is particularly useful to the church because it actually includes the church in his gospel record. So Matthew, being a good steward, like managing the tying between the old and the new, he ties together, connects the Old Testament and the New Testament, Israel's story, God's people's story, continuing of that story through the newly emergent church scholar reggie m kidd he offers another reason for matthew's gospel proving so useful to the church for us saying that in the finely balanced sense of jesus's mission it's a sense that god has come among us he's come among us first to forgive and heal praise god for that and then to remake and refashion so emmanuel god with us he's come to take our sin to the cross and then to work in us so that at the core of our being, we reflect the character of our Heavenly Father in what we do. So healing, forgiveness, and then remaking, refashioning us as citizens of the kingdom. So King Jesus proclaims, King Jesus embodies a kingdom that is both already but not yet. A kingdom that is both come and coming. So because of Jesus, because of the Son, God's reign and rule has begun in this age. It will be consummated in the age to come. So in this present life, so what's the significance for us? How is it useful to the church in contemporary times? In 2023, we experience, we know the reality still of suffering. But we also experience the reality of victory at the same time. So we, what do we do with that? We reject there's, there's sinful alternatives to understanding this already but not yet kingdom. So we reject the idea that we just uh, give up, that we disengage, that we, there, there's, there's no hope, you know, victory is assured, or, or maybe the idea of like we're so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good or, or no er, there's no earthly use in us that we just say, well, victory is assured, so we're just sitting back. Disengagement, no, that's not the response. Or there's... The idea that we could be arrogant, arrogant about our rightness of belief, arrogant about uh, our, our dominance or that victory is assured, that would be an unhelpful and sinful response to the already but not yet kingdom as well. So what do we do with it? How do we respond? How do we live out this reality of 
kingdom life already, but not yet. So again, we come back. The king, he's the Messiah, the fulfillment of all the prophecies and promises of old, the one who's a blessing to all the nations. He's here. He's speaking to us. So let's look back, Matthew 5. Singing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, your word is true and good and meant to keep us and conform us to Jesus. So would you do that? Would you teach us meekness? Would you teach us to adore Christ more as we see his example of being meek? So we pray all that for your glory in the name of Jesus. Amen. If there's a title to the message, we're going to be looking at Blessed Are the Meek. We're going to be seeing what is this idea of being meek. Maybe not a common adjective or a common word that we use. So we're going to look at meek. But if we could just say an initial definition, it's going to be very synonymous, very similar to humble. So the, if there's a title to the message, the humble will stand. Maybe we already understand a little more about humble. So to sing this upside-down kingdom, the humble, the lowly, the meek will stand. So why? Why is humility, why is meekness taught by our king as a praiseworthy characteristic of, yes, himself? But why is it a character trait that's praiseworthy or intended for the follower of Jesus as well? We want to answer that question. So what does this humility, what does meekness look like? How do we apply humility? If you consider this fulfillment and flourishing, the blessed life, it results from not asserting ourselves above the cause of God. We want to see what does that mean? Because that is the blessing, that we don't assert ourselves. That's the humility. We don't assert ourselves above the cause of God. And that leads to blessing. And maybe another question to consider with all that is, what is our goal in life? As we sit here right now, could we claim the goal of life is in line with the cause of God? Is that reflected in, in how we live as citizens of the already but not yet kingdom? What is our goal in life? So our, our roadmap for this morning, we'll look at the reminder of the blessed life. We're going to see what it is to inherit the earth. And then we want to look at what is meekness, the idea of meekness. So blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So in other words, those who are humble, those who are gentle, will receive the whole earth. So what does Jesus mean? Let's start out with that question. What does Jesus mean by inherit the earth or receive the whole earth? It sounds good. It sounds wonderful. What does it mean? Jesus quotes from Psalm 37 here. Psalm 37, 10 and 11. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. So he, Jesus, he quotes from this psalm. He explains that the faithful, those who wait on the Lord, they'll remain after the judgment of God. When the kingdom comes, when the... Uh, judgment of God rolls out, the meek will stand. 
they will remain. And the wicked, the unfaithful, they'll be purged from the land. And we're looking at, yes, some ultimate realities of that. The Psalms, the Beatitudes, they, there's, there's a primary concern. There's a significant concern with the ultimate outcomes. The ultimate outcomes. And, but then understanding that there are still benefits and benefits to be understood and taught in this life. But there is the ultimate outcome, judgment, new heaven, new earth, where, where yes, the meek will inherit the whole earth. And the wicked will be judged and will no longer remain in the land. So these blessings in the present life and these ultimate blessings, they are experienced. They're experienced to a certain degree, but let's look at the difference maybe between the present blessings of inheriting the earth and the future blessings. 1 Corinthians is a letter that gives us some insight into this uh, present blessing. Paul lets us in on the reality of the present blessing of inheriting the whole earth. So 1 Corinthians 3, 21, So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours. Verse 22, Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours, and you are Christ, and Christ is God's. So God gives Christ and all the gifts to us for our benefit. Yes, ultimately. Yes, finally. Yes, in salvation. But in this present life, he gives us these benefits. What are these benefits? Romans 8, 32. He gave, he who didn't spare his own son, but gave him to us all. How will he not also graciously give us all things? All things, this language, and all things are to be conformed to Christ. So as we think about the blessed life, what is that? We know it is a contrast. It is not worldly power. It is not material success. It is that we get to conform to the king, conform to the perfect one. And through Christ, God gives his people all the things they need to conform to Christ. What a present blessing. What a beautiful and amazing present blessing we have through Christ all things to be conformed to Jesus. And then the future blessing, 1 Corinthians 6, Paul goes on to talk about it. Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? So yes, reigning his people, the blessed ones, reigning, judging the world, judging the angels, reigning with Christ forever. That is the ultimate future. That is the hope that we have. So it's amazing blessings, so what's the requirement for the blessing here? What leads to this type of blessing? Being able to have all things to conform to King Jesus. To live as he lived. To represent and glorify the Father in heaven. And then to ultimately reign and rule with him forever. What is the requirement for the blessing here? According to the Beatitudes. Meekness. Being meek. The result, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Those who inherit the earth will be meek. Being meek. So what is it? So let's dive down into what meekness, first of all, what it is not. Here is how to describe what it, meekness is not. It's not weakness. We need to put out of our minds that meekness is just uh, weakness, quietness, niceness, Somebody who just kind of goes with the flow. Peace, you know, no matter what. Just want to keep the peace. Just going along to get along. That is not 
a picture of meekness alone in and of itself. That is not the desired characteristics to chase after for thinking about wanting to be meek or really trying to identify what meekness is. So it's nothing like that. And you could say that, that meekness, being meek, it, it displays, it reveals amazing strength, amazing power. All the great Christian martyrs throughout the history of the church, um, they were meek, yes, but they were not weak at all. They went and, and gave their lives for the purpose of the gospel, gave their lives for the purpose, God's cause. So this word it translated meek was used in the Greek, it was used as a horse that's been broken. A horse that's been gro- broken. Great power that's come under control. That's how the language used this word meek. So let's look at, we're going to trace just a few examples in scripture to see how meekness was characterized, how it played out in the Old Testament, and then we'll see there's, there's more examples than this, but we'll look at a few. Moses, Moses, pretty big name in in the, the Bible. So he displayed this character. He had this, this readiness, not wanting to abs- assert himself, but uh, rather to, to humble him himself. So think about Moses. His life was death destined for the Egyptian court. As uh, Pharaoh's daughter's son, he was destined for worldly wealth and success and everything. And he knew this, but he, he humbled himself completely to God and his will. Numbers 12.3 says, Now the man Moses was very meek, more than all people who were on the face of the earth. That's Moses. He gave, gave up that worldly wealth and power. Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah, called to speak the truth to Judah, while other prophets are saying, Peace, peace, we have peace. But he didn't say that. And he suffered, he was ridiculed, but he went on delivering God's message. Jeremiah 19, 15, thus says the Lord of hosts, is Jeremiah delivering part of this message, the God of Israel, behold, I'm bringing upon this city and upon all its towns all the disaster that I've pronounced against it, because they have, been stif- they have stiffened their neck, refusing to hear my words. And so because of that, Pasher the priest put him in the stocks at, at, uh, and, and beat him, where, uh, and he put him in the stocks at the ho- in the house of the Lord or outside the house of the Lord is how it's described there in Jeremiah. So the prophet there, displaying meekness, he spoke the truth even though it hurt. Spoke the truth even though it hurt. A a great way to characterize meekness, authority, power, but under control, under the control of God's cause. David, David knew he was supposed to be king. He'd been anointed and he suffered (laughs) Suffered in many ways, being chased down by Saul, but knowing that he should be in the place of Saul, that he was to be the king. So meekness exemplified in David's life. He was trusting, he was patient to wait on God. His timing for him to assume the throne. We see meekness in David's life. And then shifting to the New Testament, what about Mary? The mother of Jesus. She believed and trusted the Lord, even though it meant her life uh, was not going to be as she planned. And knowing that she was going to have, if nothing else, at the least suspicions about her, suspicions against her. And Mary's response to the angel telling her who 
she was going to uh, be the mother of Luke 138, Mary said, Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Mary displaying meekness. So what then is meekness as we look at these examples, knowing it's not weakness, not merely niceness, not, again, a natural quality. It's not, uh, there are some people, there are some pets for that matter, that are naturally, you know, have this disposition of, of niceness, friendliness, maybe a little quieter or whatever, a natural disposition. That's not meekness. You know, we, we love people like that. I love animals like that. I wish my, my dog was naturally dispositioned to be calmer. Um, but we don't see it as this natural thing. No one naturally gives herself into God's hands. So surrendering all rights and causes to him, what is this the result of? It's, 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 what is this to, to live, not living to avoid suffering? Like how do you, you don't naturally uh, just want to say, I, I'm just going to run headlong into suffering and ridicule, whatever it is, because God's important. That's not natural. So what happens? This only is produced by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit alone, working in the heart and mind. So we have some of these select examples in the Old Testament and the New. So we know Scripture, this teaching, because it's the only result of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus isn't selectively saying, some of my disciples, you'll be blessed because you're meek. This is teaching for every believer. Because every believer has the gift of faith given by the Holy Spirit, but all things given to the believer to be conformed to Christ, and Christ is perfectly meek. So understand this teaching, we hear this and we don't think, well, man, I, I've, just, I've just got a different personality. I'm naturally not, not going to you know, uh, avoid, uh, I'm naturally going to avoid suffering. I'm going to shy away from any uh, hurtful truths. I'm going to shy away from um, any sort of confrontation. Or I'm, I'm just really, uh, you know, going to be kind of belligerent, or I'm, I'm just loud-spoken, or, or whatever, argumentative. That's just me. No. Meekness is for every believer, because it's from, at the result of the gift of the Holy Spirit upon faith. So because of the work of the Holy Spirit, every Christian is to be meek, growing in meekness. That's what we see. This is why it's significant. This is the usefulness of the church to see this is for us. This is for us as citizens of the kingdom. So Philippians 1.6, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. The person of God's Spirit gives the gift of faith to bring us to salvation, but progressively makes us more meek. Hear this, every Christian, and why does he do it? Why does the Holy Spirit do this in the life of every believer? Romans 8, 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he, the son, Jesus Christ, might be the firstborn among all many brothers. So we're given this gift of becoming more like Jesus in meekness. So it would be wise to look at the aspect of meekness in the character of Jesus Christ. Go with me just for four scenes, quickly. Four scenes in Jesus' life that de depict this amazing humility, this perfect gentleness. 
The first one, Zacchaeus. Luke 19, when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be with a guest of a man who is a sinner. Christ is not worried about his reputation. He was not consumed with thoughts of self. He's meek. The second scene. Our king, silent before his accusers. Mark 14. The high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he, Jesus, remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you'll see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Humble honesty that only furthers the Father's will. Meekness in Christ. Another scene, driving out the money changers. Matthew 21, Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple, and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, it's written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. It's passionate. Passionate about worship and devotion to the Father. Jesus is meek. And the last scene, confronting the Pharisees. There are multiple scenes in the Gospels that account how Jesus loved the Pharisees. And this is how he did it. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you're evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What is he saying to them? He's saying, you're the children of the devil, and you deceive people. He exhibits perfect meekness. We have to see in all and every turn of Jesus' ministry, his public ministry, he displays perfect everything, including perfect meekness. He places, and how does he do this? He places the Father's will above anything else, even the desire to be liked or to keep the peace or to not disrupt things or even... um, he puts the Father's will above keeping a, 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 a good reputation among the crowd. So perfect meekness and perfect in love. We have to see that Jesus doesn't lay down his meekness and say, okay, now I'm going to love here. And, and I know I'm, I'm not being meek or I'm, I'm going to be poor in spirit here, but not mourn over the sins of the people here. He's, he's perfect in all instances, all ways so he's perfect in meekness and perfect in love when he overturns the money changers tables and when he calls the pharisees you're your children of the devil brood of vipers he's loving them perfectly not just oh, that's a different way to, to love them jesus that's interesting that's a good take no it's the perfect way it's the divine way of loving those people and it can be confrontational it's in no way weak So where to start applying this knowledge, this picture of Christ? And understand that he died and gave us us this life, gave us this life in the kingdom that we would be blessed by being meek, knowing this is the purpose of Jesus, his cross work. John Bunyan, the author of Pilgrim's Progress, he says, he that is down need fear no fall. 
So we realizing, how do we apply this, realizing that no one, there's, there's nothing in this life, first of all, that can harm us. Again, victory is assured. We don't have to assert ourselves above the Father because he's secured us both now and forever, eternally. But he that is down need fear no fall. Notice the progression of the Beatitudes. Notice the progression and the, the process here. The second leads to the third. Those who know they our need for God, our dependence that we desperately need to be desperately dependent on God, poor in spirit, spiritual poverty, and we mourn because we need him so bad. We mourn our sin. Our sin shows us we need, need him. We mourn that. We will be meek, that, that pattern, poor in spirit, mourning, leading us to be meek, knowing that only God, only God can do this, and only God's purposes are worthy of our lives. So the Bible in places like 2 Timothy and James, 1 Peter, again, it contrasts meekness with selfish ambition, jealousy, starting quarrels. We see these, the, the picture of what meekness is not. But as we've seen in Jesus, primarily we've seen Jesus was bold, forceful at times, even confrontational, but again, perfectly meek. One scholar, he puts it like this, a supremely confident person is, is meek as like Christ, he promotes others rather than himself. Because the, the meek know their spiritual poverty and grieve it they refuse to assert themselves. So going back to the idea of uh, the statement to consider about the fulfillment and flourishing resulting from not asserting ourselves above the cause of God. So what is our goal in life? How do we do this? What does this look like to not assert ourselves above the cause of God? What's our goal in life? Well, it's not, not to be perfect. There's only one who is. But to worship, to grow in loving obedience to the one who was and is perfect. That is the goal in life. To worship and grow in loving obedience to the one who was and is perfect. So how do we do this? How do we do this in meekness? Growing in meekness. Seeing this portrait of our king who's come to, yes, assure final victory, but then also restore and renew things presently for us. So how do we do this? Maybe the first thing, expect hurt. Expect hurt. Expect others to, to injure you, maybe verbally. Maybe to not consider you over and above something or someone else. Expect others to not agree with you. Expect others to say hurtful things to you and about you. That gives us a little buffer that we just expect. That is the experience of this life. Expect hurt. Keeps us humble. Number two, forgive. Forgive these injuries. Be quick to forgive those who hurt you. Remember Jesus from the cross. He pleaded with the Father to forgive those who put him there the perfect example of forgiveness and he's being perfectly meek in that instance as well so we expect hurt and we're quick to forgive those who hurt us number three that we would look to bear burdens of others how do we not assert ourselves above the cause of god we were looking to bear burdens 
the burdens of others. So who could you, who could you serve this week by helping them maybe, maybe recover from hurt? Who can you serve this week by forgiving them? Maybe in person, but, but definitely in your own heart. That there's going to be forgiveness to a person. Bearing burdens of others. And then number four, return good for evil. Return good for evil. Think about who is difficult. You know, again, it's not just about keeping the peace at all costs, just being easygoing, but who is difficult to get along with or who's hurt you in the past? How can you bless that person? How can you seek to, to go out of your way, maybe? Go out of your schedule, out of your normal rhythm to be a blessing to that individual. Is, is there a person like that? Is there a person like that? And the most loving thing you can do is, is pray by name and specifically for that person. For these people serving others in prayer. And it does result in having known that person so you know how to pray. What to pray specifically for a brother and sister or maybe a lost neighbor or a co-worker or some other friend. That, again, has maybe injured you. So expect that. Forgive that. Bear those burdens with others and return good for evil. God's will. God's will above our own. Being humble and gentle to assert Him above our own cause, above ourselves. There's a song, a sweet song by City of Light, kind of a contemporary uh, worship content creator or group and it's called your will be done maybe you've heard it it's not a new song but i love the lyrics i think it applies to again the perfect picture of christ's meekness and then also the uh, partnership and meekness that the church has to fulfill this it goes just a few of the lines your will be done my god and father as in heaven and so earth, my heart is drawn to self-exalting. Help me seek your kingdom first. As Jesus walked, so shall I walk. Held by your same unchanging love, be still my soul. Oh, lift your voice and pray. Father, not my will, but yours be done. We didn't look at the picture of the garden, but what a sweet picture. How in that garden he persisted, I may never fully know. The fearful weight of true obedience, it was held by him alone. What wondrous faith to bear that cross. To bear my sin, what wondrous love. My hope was sure when there my Savior prayed, Father, not my will, but yours be done. And as we go forth, our God and Father, lead us daily in the fight that all the world might see your glory and your name be lifted high. And in this name we overcome, for you shall see us safely home. Now, as your church, we lift our voice and pray, Father, not my will, but yours be done. So for the believer, so for the believer, live and worship. Live and worship the one, to the one, and the one who's perfectly meek on your behalf. That is the response. Worship him. Live for him, the one who's perfectly meek on our behalf. And for the unbeliever. You're sitting here this morning thinking, I don't know the perfectly meek one. I don't know what Christ accomplished for me on the cross. I don't know. I, don't, I haven't said yes to it. I, I'm, I'm confused by it. Hear this. Respond. 
respond to the one who's perfectly meek. Pray with me. God, you are too good to us. And as you give us this insight and instruction into life in the kingdom, we say thank you for sending your son to be complete and perfect in every way, including being perfectly meek for us and to lead us to live that out for your glory as well. So Lord, I do pray um, for those that are a part of the church through faith alone in Christ alone. Lord, that we would truly seek um, to glorify you and serve you and serve you in, in, in meekness. Not looking just out for ourselves alone, but for your ways and your will above our own. And I know that looks different in different uh, phases of life and in different contexts of, of our lives. So we just say we need your help to show us what that looks like and how to do it. And I do pray, Lord, for anyone who is here that hasn't experienced uh, the gospel, hasn't experienced life in the kingdom through faith alone, Lord, that this morning will be the day of salvation. And Lord, they would respond um, to your offer of grace and respond again to Christ. And I pray that in Jesus' powerful and precious name.